present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Thus far we read God's holy and an errant word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. The text that we consider this evening is the 14th verse of Titus 2, who, referring to Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the conscientious child of God, hearing yet again of what happened there at Golgotha some 2,000 years ago, as he considers the horror of the cross and as well considers the present day application of the cross to his life, cannot help but be moved with emotions, almost even to the point of tears. What we consider this evening is not science fiction. What we consider this evening is not the scene of a play. But what we consider, remember, and commemorate in this evening is history. God's history. Imagine if it was your son or your father, your beloved family member, who was condemned and then told to take his cross and go out of town and be hanged on that accursed tree. How acute would the grief be if it was our own family member. And now what we consider this evening is not just a family member. He is a family member. The scriptures identify him as our elder brother. But he's not just a family member. It's your Lord and your Savior who gave himself for you. Let's consider this evening the text under the theme, Jesus gave himself. Jesus gave himself. Taking the opening words of the 14th verse, who gave himself. 
First of all, we will see that this was a selfless act. Second, a redeeming act. Third, a purifying act. A selfless act, a redeeming act, a purifying act. The Apostle Paul instructs the young man, Titus, in the ministry not to forget that Jesus Christ gave himself. When? From one perspective, we could say that Jesus gave himself throughout his entire earthly ministry. It started already at the moment of his incarnation when he who was God and who thought it not robbery to be equal with God gave himself by condescending into this world. He gave himself when he who was the uncreated, the everlasting Lord of hosts was made of a woman, made under the law. He gave himself. And then throughout all of his earthly ministry, Jesus Christ continued giving himself as he walked from town to town, as he discipled, as he taught, as he fed the thousands of people, as he performed miracles, as he healed, as he raised the dead to life again, he gave himself. As he prayed and as he fasted, Jesus gave himself. But it was especially at the end of his life that Jesus gave himself. As he was gathered there in that upper room with the disciples and there they ate that last supper and then Jesus took that bread and he dipped it into the sop and then he gave that bread unto Judas Iscariot and instructed him that thou doest do quickly. Jesus gave himself. And then as Jesus went into the garden with the three closest disciples and there prayed unto God with such fervency that the bloody sweat was pressed out of him there, pleading of the Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt, he gave himself. And then when Judas came with that band of soldiers there in the middle of the night, and Judas betrayed him with a royal kiss of betrayal, Jesus gave himself. It was abundantly clear that he gave himself, for when the question was put to him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? He responded, I am. And you will recall that all of the people there fell over back. He gave himself. It's not that they took him. He gave himself to them. 
And then when they held an impromptu and illegal trial in the middle of the night and they brought false witnesses against him, an opportunity was given unto Jesus Christ to give a defense for himself as to why he should not be taken out of town, condemned and put to death. Jesus, instead of raising his voice, giving a defense of his innocence, Jesus gave himself. But then it becomes even more clear in the final moments of Jesus' life that he gave himself. As they took him out of town, brought him over the brook Kidron, brought him to that hill called Golgotha, erected the three crosses, Jesus in the middle, crosses on the other side for the malefactors who were to be hanged with him. Jesus gave himself to that cross. As the crowds pressed around him, as the Roman soldiers parted his raiments among them, as the women stood afar off, weeping and grieving, Jesus gave himself. As his blessed body was hanged and the nails pierced his feet and his hands, as the crowds taunted him, saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. And yet he did not come down, but he gave himself. King over his own death. This Roman soldiers did not take his life. The cross did not kill him, but he gave himself to death. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He gave himself for you and for me. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good work. He gave himself for those who had been given unto Jesus by the Father. For those who had been ordained by the Father from before the foundations of the world, for those whose names were written down in the Lamb's book of life, Jesus Christ gave himself for us. 
and consider the world of difference there is between Jesus Christ who gave himself and us who are the recipients of the salvation that he has earned for us. It's not that there's anything special, anything holy to be found in us. But he gave himself for a people who are filled with sins and with iniquity. He gave himself for us, and that includes the three disciples, his three closest friends, who could not pray with him that one hour in the garden. He gave himself for us, and that includes Peter, who betrayed him not once, not twice, but three times over while Jesus Christ stood alone being tried. He gave himself for us who are called, according to the 12th verse, to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, and yet how do we live anything but soberly, righteously, and godly? He gave himself for us while we were yet sinners. Why he would give himself for us who are undeserving of the least of his blessings, one can hardly fathom. We could understand that he would give himself for us if there were something commendable, something virtuous, something honorable that is found in us. If you would look down upon the sheep of his pasture and find that his sheep were loyal and find that his sheep were faithful unto him and found that his sheep hungered and thirsted after him, then it could be understandable that Jesus Christ gave himself for us. Paul says in Romans chapter 5 that scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare to die. Occasionally you can find on this there's someone who is willing to give up their life for someone else. You find that even in the soldiers of a particular nation. The soldier who believes that the nation is worthwhile, that the nation is a great nation, then that soldier is willing to go off and fight in battle because he believes that he's fighting for a cause that's worthy of it. But Jesus Christ gave himself for wretches, for undeserving and unholy sinners. In the act of highest selflessness, is the perfect example of what love is. He gave himself. To what did he give himself? Really the question ought to be, to whom did he give himself? He gave himself to God. He was willing to stand before the thrice holy God 
in their face the anger, the wrath, the justice of God that arises out of God's holiness. Hebrews tells us it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And there went Jesus for us. He gave himself unto God for a purpose. And the purpose was so that he would redeem us. Not just a selfless act, but a redemptive act who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Iniquity, that's what characterizes you and me, people of iniquity. That word iniquity means lawlessness. The idea here of lawlessness is not that somebody is ignorant of the law and thus not knowing what the law is unwittingly breaks that law. But the idea here of lawlessness is that one has been instructed in that law. One has been given to understand what that law requires of him. The duty of the great commandment that Jesus Christ has given unto us is love God. And the second is like unto it, love thy neighbor as thyself. One then who has been instructed in that law Instead of obeying that law and keeping that law, he willfully, persistently, stubbornly refuses to keep that law. It's nothing short of rebelliousness. That's the idea there of iniquity. And this lawlessness that the apostle speaks of here is something that characterizes us throughout our earthly pilgrimage. Just as willingly as Jesus Christ gave himself for us, so willingly we give ourselves unto iniquity. Lawlessness, it's what the one-year-old child does as he crawls to the pot with the plant in it. And he knows he's not supposed to reach his hand in that pot and dig out the dirt and throw it on the ground. It's lawlessness. Lawlessness. It's what the second grade student does when the student refuses to listen to the teacher does not do the work, and then heaping sin upon sin lies to the teacher about why the work wasn't done. Lawlessness. It's what the teenager does. When he disobeys father and mother's rules about cell phone usage, gives in to the temptations and the lusts of the flesh, and then as well feels the need to lie to mom and dad about it. Lawlessness. 
It's what the wife does when she gives in to the temptation to gossip about what this or that person did. Lawlessness. It's what the husband does when the husband is upset at his wife and purposefully withdraws fellowship from her. Lawlessness. It characterizes us by nature. Lawlessness, once it enters into the heart of man, rules over that individual. Sin is like a disease, like a cancer that once it finds its way inside of that body, spreads and spreads and spreads until that the disease of sin takes over the whole of mankind. There's power in iniquity, and the power of iniquity is exactly this. It appeals unto the base desires of our flesh. That's why we, we commit sins. It's because we like it. It's because there's something enjoyable to our flesh in that particular sin. If there was nothing enticing in that sin to us, if there was nothing that attracted us unto that sin, then we would not permit that sin. But the reason that we commit the sins that we do is we imagine that there's happiness and satisfaction that will be found in those sins. And so the tentacles of sin reach out into a man, and then the tentacle of sin spreads until it has a death grip upon that individual lawlessness. At first, our conscience bothers us, but then we suppress it, and we suppress it again, and again. And eventually our conscience has been seared with a hot iron. And our lawlessness no longer troubles us. Jesus gave himself for us. That he might redeem us from all iniquity, lawlessness. Redeem. Redeeming is this idea, it's that of purchasing something. There's a transaction that takes place here. Even the children can understand this. You go to the store, let's go to the shopping mall. You look around in that shopping mall, you're careful and looking around to see what you want. And then you find something maybe a toy, and you really, really want that toy. But you know that you cannot take that toy home to be yours unless, first of all, you pay for it. You have to give something up. You have to give up money. And then you may take that possession that you want home with you. It's the idea of a transaction, of redeeming or purchasing something. This text speaks of a transaction, a holy transaction, that takes place not in the shopping mall, but a transaction that takes place in God's 
holy courtroom. As it were, Jesus Christ within God's holy courtroom sees the people of God. They're a peculiar people. That's how the text identifies us. Purify unto himself a peculiar people. That word peculiar means set apart. People who are distinguished from others. Because these people are a peculiar people, Jesus Christ set his eye upon these people and he yearned for these people. He wants to take these people into his home and into his, into his relationship. But for Jesus Christ to take these people into his home and into his covenant, there must be a payment that's made. She says the child knows that if he goes into the store and there he sees that possession that he wants, he can't just take that possession off the shelf for that would be stealing. For it to be a lawful transaction, there must be a price that is paid. In this transaction, Jesus Christ himself paid, not with gold or with silver, but with his own precious blood. Who gave himself, there's the giving aspect, he gave himself in order that he might redeem us from all iniquity. He purchased us from the dominion, the power, and the claim of the iniquity and of the devil and he brings us unto the Father. This is the gospel. Not that we of ourselves reached up unto the Father. Not that we yearned to be in the covenant and the home of the Father. Of ourselves, we were slaves to this iniquity. And Jesus Christ redeemed us. This is what distinguishes the Christian religion from every other religion in the world. Every other false religion says that if you want to make it into the afterlife, if you want to have blessings with your God, then you have to work. You have to perform acts of obedience in order to please your God. And then through your efforts and your obedience, then you can at least make it into the blessedness of fellowship with your God. You climb up the steps. And distinction from that is the Christian religion, which does not teach that mankind climbs up the steps in order to make it into the fellowship and home of God, but which teaches that God condescended into this world who gave his only begotten Son for us to redeem us from all iniquity. And then there's yet another aspect of salvation that this text brings out for us. 
Not just that we are redeemed from something, from iniquity, but there's movement in this text. We're brought from iniquity and we're brought unto something else. That He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Jesus Christ draws us by His own sacrificial death from the clutch of the devil and the grip of sin, and He brings us unto Himself, purifies unto Himself a peculiar people. We don't always like this aspect of salvation, do we not? To be a peculiar people. Be a peculiar people means that we're set apart. It means that we're going to be different from the world. And who of us wants to be different from the world? There's so much pressure that's put upon us, especially our young people and our young adults. Pressure to conform to the way that the world dresses. Pressure to adapt the language of the world to crass and crude language. Pressure to find the approval of the world. Pressure to find financial success in this world. There's so much pressure that is felt to be one with the world, and yet the Word of God remains that Jesus Christ purifies unto Himself a peculiar people. He makes us to be peculiar, to be set apart by purifying us. He cleanses us washes us with His own shed blood. And being washed with His blood, we can now enter into the Holy of Holies where Jesus Christ dwells and where we can have fellowship with Him. He purifies us unto Himself. That's the goal of salvation. To bring us unto God through Jesus Christ. Already in the, on this earth, Jesus begins to bring us unto Himself. He does so by the agency of the Holy Spirit who is poured out upon this church and who enters into the hearts of God's own children who bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. He brings us unto Himself with whom there is redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. He brings us unto Himself where we know that He loves us, where He causes the light of His countenance to shine down upon us. He purifies us unto Himself where there is protection and safety from the devil who goes forth as a roaring lion. He who gave 
himself for us. Now brings us unto himself. Knowing that we are brought unto him, we become zealous. Zealous of good works. Zealous means not just that we go through the motions in performing good works. Zealous is not a perfunctory obedience, a mere outward satisfying of the letter of the law, doing the bare minimum that is required of us. It's not what it is to be zealous of good works. But it is to be filled with enthusiasm. It is to have a holy zeal to live in a way that is pleasing unto God. Not because I imagine that my zeal for Jehovah God is going to earn or merit with Jehovah God. But it is a holy zeal that arises out of the knowledge of the fact that Jesus Christ gave himself for me. And that accursed tree of the cross. It is a zeal that reveals itself in the way that I live. So that as others observe me, they can see that I belong in body and in soul unto Jesus Christ. It is a zeal that is given unto us by the work of the Holy Spirit as the Spirit draws us unto Jesus Christ. It is a zeal that leads the Christian to sing as we will sing shortly all. How love I thy law. It is my meditation all the day long. Zealous of good works. Good works which are done in obedience unto the law. Verse 12. It's denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. It's living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Zealous of good works includes looking, watching, watching for the one who gave himself for us. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Zealous of good works includes a sincere, sorrowful confession of my sins, pleading unto God for pardon of them on the basis of the worth of His Son, And believing that God, for Jesus' sake, grants unto me righteousness, holiness, and satisfaction. Amen. Let us pray.
Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank thee that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made righteous in thy sight. Help us, Father, to live our lives under the shadow of the cross. Help us, Father, to be zealous of good works, not that we might be proud or boastful, but that with humility of heart we might let our light shine before men because of what Thou hast done for us. Bless Thy word unto our hearts and send us home with Thy blessing. For Jesus' sake we pray this. Amen.